Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think I was slightly lukewarm on it the first time I saw it, but the more I've watched it, I think it's one of my favourites. I love it. It wasn't the same hits that Pulp Fiction had for me, but I think it does, yeah, it, it does kind of age really well. It's a great adaptation. Absolutely love the soundtrack. Pam Greer is fantastic. I think she's just phenomenal. I think Robert Forster is phenomenal. It also feels like the other characters are fully formed in a way that maybe they're not in something like Pulp Fiction. I say this, Pulp Fiction at one point was my favourite film of all time. Like, I adored it as a teenager and I would gladly go off and watch it again. But there's something here about the three-dimensionality of everyone that I really like. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today I'm joined by Will. Hi there. Russ. Hi. Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Jackie Brown. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today we have Russ and Will. Over to you Will to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Hi there, I'm Will. I'm an occasional contributor to other podcasts. I've been on Russell's a few times. Uh, we've just recently done a um, mini-series of the Jurassic Park Connections, which was connected to Jurassic Park quite loosely in some cases yeah, I, saw, yeah. I, was, so, yeah. I was looking through it it didn't it didn't quite make sense um at a first look <laughs> as to some of the connections with the jurassic park give, give us give us give us one of the more tenuous ones and, and why um a very tenuous one was uh exorcist 3 because Samuel Jackson, L. Jackson, briefly appeared in a dream sequence. So <laughs> to say it was tenuous was, yeah. Sure. But it was a chance to talk Brexit 3, so. <laughs> uh, everyone needs that in their life. Uh, Russ, who are you? Uh, so I'm Russ. I am the host and showrunner of a podcast called Not Just For Kids, which is uh, mostly a podcast about family films and the films I grew up with. But I do sometimes go out on tangents that are nowhere near connected to that uh yeah but for the most part i talk about family films i talk about the 90s I talk about musicals I talk about studio ghibli and right now i'm talking about modern animations the last 20 years of animation and how 
wild it's got in the last like five or six years with some amazing films. I um I love I love the way you call yourself a host and showrunner. Um, like you're <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> um, but I was listening to you. You, I looked. At, I looked for films that we'd both done on here and on um and your show. And one was the How to Train Your Dragon, which then went into the into the How to Train Your Dragon series. And that's generally one of my favourite film series in the entire world. And we had How to Train Your Dragon on here, which is which is a pleasure. But uh, yeah, so so tell us about the kind of the family films side of thing. Why is that? Why is that important to you? And why do you think it's a it's a key. Uh, yeah. So I, I am a father. So I, I have two kids and I kind of, mm. over the last six years, I have watched mostly when, uh, mostly family films. Like I do watch mm. some other stuff, but I do watch a lot of family films. And so I had this idea a couple of years ago to look at them because I, I don't think there's a podcast that, there's a couple, there's not, it doesn't get the same kind of attention as other genres. And I think it's important to kind of understand the films we've watched and, um, where we come from with those and, and the films that kind of shape us. So like, uh, I am obsessed with Jurassic Park because it, I saw it when I was like four or five and it terrified me. Oh, wow. I couldn't get through it. I saw it in the <laughs> cinema with my dad and I was too young. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't get through it. He took me out after the second, uh, T-Rex scene, but I became obsessed with it. So it's this, that kind of was the idea. And I, as I think a lot of people who love films and other subjects, started a podcast during the first lockdown and I thought it'd be one series and I'd be done. I had this idea to look at a certain 10 years of animation in the West. I thought it'd be done, but it, I, I kind of love it. I kind of love just talking to people. So I get a guest on every episode. Uh, mm. Some are like, I have like semi-regular guests like Will and a few others, but there's also like, I get on other podcasters, other, uh, I get directors, get on uh, actors, stuff like that. Just people I think are interesting. I get on to talk about films um, because yeah, I'm fascinated with what people think about films. And so that's how I've ended up having this podcast that's now run for just over two years. Well, we're here talking about your film, your choice, I should say, and that is Jackie Brown. Can you tell us first of all, why did you choose Jackie Brown? And then I'll get the timer up and you've got a minute or less to give us the synopsis. Yeah. So I, I wanted to pick a film that I probably wouldn't cover on my own podcast. So I kind of threw all the numerous family films that are on Netflix out of the out of consideration but Tarantino was this like director for me we'll probably get into it who I guess when I transitioned from a certain kind of film to more adult films Tarantino is one of those directors that was instrumental in that and Jackie Brown I just had a I have a, a huge love for it and I haven't watched it for years so I thought I'd we go for that one because yeah I love this film as we'll get into I hadn't watched it for about 10 years so yeah and your synopsis timer starts now goodness uh right so jackie brown is quentin tarantino's feature film follow-up to pulp fiction he is adapting an elmore leonard novel and it follows pam Grier's eponymous air steward who works on the side for a violent gun runner played by tarantino regular samuel L. jackson she helps this gun runner transport his cash into the country free flights she is busted by law enforcers and pushed to become an informer for them. And so she sets in motion a plan with the help of a smitten bail bondsman played by the wonderful Robert Forster that could bring her the cash needed to leave LA and find a better life elsewhere. All it requires is her to escape prosecution, outwit the police and Jackson's criminal and make it through this, her scheme without being killed in the process. <laughs> there you go. Well done. I had written that um, beforehand. Yeah, I could tell. How many people had seen? <laughs> <laughs> how, 
How many people has, have not seen this before? Everyone's seen this. Well, yeah, I'd seen it. I, I, there you go. That's I've seen it before a couple of times. <laughs> We'd, um, Tarantino is, I think, our most repeat viewing director. There's an eloquent way of saying that, and that wasn't that. Um, but he's, he's the director we had most on this podcast. There you go. That's a better way of saying it. Um, and the first Tarantino we had on was Pulp Fiction, and one of the guys that came in had never seen Pulp Fiction before. And I was both like <laughs> enchanted yeah. by this fact. I was like so happy for him and also jealous at the same time that he was watching for the first time. I was just like, oh. Because when you said about Tarantino being like a, a keystone director for you, because Pulp Fiction for me is like, oh shit, films can be like really like dialogue driven yeah. and be really cool at the same time. Whereas before, not necessarily, but there was a leaning towards like action films and, and things happening and people's heads getting cut off or whatever. But Pulp Fiction for me is like how how much the dialogue can drive things. Um, anyway, so yeah, we've we've got we've had Tarantino here quite a lot, and we're gonna. Whatever the score we get, Helen has prepared a Tanner and Cena list and we'll see where Jackie Brown ends up here. Um, Will, so you said you have seen it before. What are your thoughts on Jackie Brown? Yeah, I, I saw it in the cinema the first time. Oh, wow. I think I, I'm pretty sure it was the first film I ever saw on my own. I went on my own to see it. Really? Yeah. And because um, I was a big Tarantino fan, because I'm Tarantino, as Russell said, Reservoir Dogs was my first Tarantino film that I saw. And it was. At the right age, it was probably I was probably a bit too young to watch it, but I watched it, and then yeah. So eventually, I, uh, Jackie Brown was the first one I went to see in the cinema. I think I was slightly lukewarm on it the first time I saw it, but the more I've watched it, I think it's one of my favorites. I love it. What about yourself, Helen? So I I can't remember. I definitely didn't see it at the cinema, and I remember watching it after Port Fiction, and I remember really, really, really loving the soundtrack, but not maybe being as like blown away from it and then subsequent rewatches i think i like it more and more and the soundtrack alone is just i absolutely love the soundtrack and the the cast is so great and some of the dialogue in there like watching it again i remember lots of it and i just think it's um it's a great adaptation and you kind of wonder like why didn't he do more? Because I think it was a kind of like interesting sort of side to him with a bit more kind of straightforward storytelling that maybe we haven't really got from him. But um, yeah, so when you picked it, I was really looking forward to having a rewatch on this one. I mean, you say straightforward, but there's still how the kind of the payoff at the end in, in the mall and the, and the handover, that's quite an intricate setup there, isn't it? And we see it played from three angles, at least, don't we? Jackie's, Robert Forster's and... Do we see Robert De Niro's and Bridget Fonda's, are they separate in there as well? So we see it from four different angles. So that's quite, I think it's quite a complex bit of storytelling that's keep you engaged. And you see with each one, you know, how, how it expands and plays out. And I always forget that bit when I think about Jackie Brown. I always forget how that plays out at the end. And I think that's one of the things that each time I watch, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is like super cool how it happens. And then... I always forget that he kills Robert De Niro in the end. I'm like, fucking hell. <laughs> then I always forget that Samuel Jackson gets killed. I'm like, fucking hell. <laughs> um, maybe I just don't watch it enough. <laughs> but I think it, but it definitely, definitely does bear uh, repeat viewing uh, in my, in my, and it, I think like everyone else here would see in Paul Fiction was like, fuck, this is like amazing. And um, it wasn't the same hit that Pulp Fiction had for me, but I think it does, yeah, it, it does kind of age really well. I think the thing is with Pulp Fiction is such a 
blast that when watching Jackie Brown, I think mm. that's probably why I was a bit lukewarm on it because it wasn't that ultra-violent craziness of Pulp Fiction, which I went in possibly expecting to see because it's Tarantino. But I think, yeah, as watching it more and more, you realise it is one of his more linear films. Mm. But, it's yeah, like I say, it's, vast, it's becoming one of my favourites because it is, although it's long, it is quite, it takes its time, but there's not a moment wasted, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think there's a maturity to it that I think isn't in all of Tarantino's other work. Like, I think it's a much more mature piece. It is quite slow in its pace and it deliberately takes its time. And uh, certainly when I was a teenager, Pulp Fiction felt like something dangerous, like something I shouldn't be watching. And then I watched Jackie Brown afterwards and it felt less, had less of the like taboo feel to it because there's not that much shocking about Jack Ryan, there's no need for those kind of like moments in some Tarantinos which are there to shock like the gimp in Pulp Fiction or the ear moment in Res- Reservoir Dogs but yeah certainly Jackie Brown feels like there's some interesting stuff in it that it, 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 we can unpack on re-watching you and I think Pam Greer is fantastic I think she's just phenomenal I think Robert Forster is phenomenal and while it's a superbly quotable script, it also feels like the other characters are fully formed in a way that maybe they're not in something like Pulp Fiction. I say this, Pulp Fiction one point was my favourite film of all time. Like I adored it as a teenager and I would gladly go off and watch it again. But there's something here about the three dimensionality of everyone that I really like on this watch that everyone on the screen feels fully formed and has their own agenda and motivations and brings something to it it's it's i think that might be because it's based on a novel that it has that kind of quality to it that it has uh it almost feels like a novel on screen in that there's various plot strands and various threads but it's all building this one moment which is the bit of the mall what do you make of um robert de niro's character because for me i wasn't fully sure why what he wants from hanging out with Samuel Jackson. It's like a strange point in De Niro's career because it's it's past the point where he was at his Oscar glory, but before he got to the like noughties onwards where he kind of made some stuff that isn't as good. So this is kind of like his like transitional film. I think he's fun in it, but it's also I think he's a bit it's strange watching De Niro play a stoner is basically what yeah. it's, it's like <laughs> I think De Niro De Niro is good, but I also think it's strange watching De Niro be a stoner. But it's great when he when he shoots. Um, I forget the character's name, but when he shoots, um, Melanie in the parking lot. That's a yeah. great moment. Well, De Niro wanted Cherry. He wanted to play Max Cherry, and Quentin okay. Tarantino had his heart set on Robert Forster. So he ended up in the role of Lou. And st- story goes that he didn't get that much direction, and he was quite kind of frustrated with the role. And that's why I think we're kind of at the start of the film. Lou's very much just kind of like looking around and he's kind of like a little bit pissed off to be there and doesn't quite know why why he's there. And then he gets a bit more assertive and a bit more into playing his role as he goes along. So I think I came to this as a massive De Niro fan and just thought it was a really unusual role for him to be in. I think mainly Mm. because he was a little bit of a side character and also just was kind of like this real idiot really i mean lou's not very intelligent and he clearly has anger issues and he's just kind of like a bit of a bum and i'm like i'm used to de niro being like the main guy and kind of like having the balls and stuff and putting things in motion and here he's playing just kind of like just like 
a nobody really. He's been in jail. He's now out. He's just hanging around, smoking weed, being yelled at by Melanie. Can't remember where he parks his car. He's all sweaty, <laughs> wearing bad clothes. Because that's when he kills Melanie. That was quite. That was like not as visceral as as Tarantino's used to to show him, but it's still like holy fuck. Where did that, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I know he's pissed off with her, but. I, yeah, it's still like I said, you know, a few minutes ago. I'm still surprised each time it happens. It's just not, not, not the way the tonality of the film's going. Uh, up until that point, Tarantino apparently toned down the violence after the re- reviews of obviously Reservoir Dogs, the ear scene, and Pulp Fiction being really violent. He decided that mm. he was still going to have those moments, but have it off screen. <laughs> so it's kind of like getting away with it. And there are long stretches of this film where there's no violence at all, where it's it's. It's it's really mostly at the beginning and the end that we get the violence. The rest of the time, it's not mm. that violent. The film, it's it's more about uh, almost downtime with these people. A lot of it is like just downtime with these people, and I can see why that. So I can see why I got a slightly less warm response from critics at the time because there's they're expecting the pulp fiction yeah, and pulp fiction like yeah. got the the way the narrative is constructed makes it exciting even when they're just having conversations because it's it's mm. out of order but this is like it it's, feels confident of Tarantino to just have moments long stretches where not much is really happening who was it that said they like Tarantino to have made more adaptations was it you Helen? Yeah just because I feel as though just me personally that I haven't really enjoyed his later films as much as his earlier ones and Maybe I I personally think that his ego has been left to run away with itself and become <laughs> too overindulgent over kind of like small ideas that he's made like three hour films out of, whereas <laughs> he could do with a little bit of like structure and like the basis of a good story. That's my personal opinion. Like <laughs> I know other people think it- his later stuff is still the dog's bollocks, but I just feel that he, he's been kind of like, left to run wild and it's just become a bit of a pastiche of Tarantino in a way or just go on with it Tarantino do what you want spend three hours riding around LA (laughs) essentially leveling a lot of it at uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood (laughs) (laughs) and also because I still haven't seen it I haven't seen it Hateful Eight because I just thought the runtime just seems oppressive and I can't be asked. it's very Um, long it's very long I mean I I had fun with Hateful Eight. But I have less interest in Tarantino when he's having a conversation with American history and past and cinema. And this is fascinating to me because it's a conversation he's having by adapting another um, creative's work. And that is is fascinating here to have that, that the rest of the time it's kind of his own ideas kind of percolating away and they go off and, you know, he kills Hitler on screen, which is entertaining, but also it to go, that I think, that there's a, the maturity here is what I miss a lot of the time. Like even once upon a time isn't, doesn't have that, even though it is quite long. I just really love it when they're record shopping. <laughs> More record shopping, maybe. This is definitely his most res- restrained film. Yeah. And it helps that he's not in it because it, <laughs> that's his, is when his ego goes, like when he appears it, he's always terrible. <laughs> But this is just someone letting him do his thing, whereas Jackie Brown, possibly because it's, like you say, it's a, a book previously that it's more restrained. But yeah, I, I still love his stuff. 
in the most part. But yeah, you could do with someone just saying, "Come on, quit it, mate." <laughs> Wind it in a bit. You don't have to be in it. You say he's not. <laughs> you say he's not in it, but his voice is in it. He's the voice of the answer machine, so he's in it slightly. Oh, is he? And also, while we're talking about people who are in it, did anyone else spot the alleged Danny DeVito cameo at the start? It looks like him from the back, but when she's walking Where through the... Is this, is this so in the airport? Really? At the very start, if you watch it again, the, the back... Because I was like watching it going, that, that really looks like Danny DeVito. And tri- <laughs> trivia would point that it is. Apparently, they're, they're like friends and, and stuff. So you can, you can okay. ke- check, check back because um, it's at the start and see what you think it is. But the, the cast is great. We've mentioned, obviously... Samuel Jackson's in it, and there's, um, I think, even though it's a really, really small role, Beaumont is such a memorable role. Uh, yeah, Beaumont, yeah. Chris Tucker, uh, Chris Tucker, obviously Bridget Fonda as well. Well, just talk about. I mean, Samuel Jackson is um, Quentin Tarantino's kind of go-to guy, isn't he? Um, so when Adele's kind of is a really kind of scheming, but thinks he's super streetwise, but at the same time not really, um, and how he. When he tried to swindle, when he tried to swindle um, Robert Forster's Bell's bondsman, and he was just like, "Yeah, I'm just telling you what I've got to do. You, if you want this to happen, if you want to get Jackie Brown out, you have to pay the money. There's no way you're going to get around it." And he's just like, "Oh fuck it, let's just go on with it." Um, he's like conniving, he's like low key conniving, and you know the way he dispatches Odell, sorry, the way he dispatches Beaumont, and the way he would have clearly dispatched Jackie Brown had she not been, you know, ten times as conniving, um, is really interesting and. I think that's that's the thing I kind of take away is I I don't work I, I still haven't kind of worked out how she's worked out the plan and made it work, and I think that's a really special part of the film is that she's unfortunately kind of found herself in this dead end job, but she seems to be you know, head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of street smarts and intelligence and just sass as well, and you can see why Robert Forster's like made up with her when the, <laughs> the first moment he sees her. Yeah. Um, I think Jackson's great here. I think it's really an interesting performance given that, again, this comes so soon after his turn in Pulp Fiction. This is a much uh, less cinematically cool figure, um, but there is that complexity to him and he's kind of monstrous from fairly early on. And yeah, he's he's very compelling in this. I, I think he's great in this. And I, I, and I love Robert Forster. I think Robert Forster is wonderful in this. I think it's really... In, Deering aspect this there is this kind of romance bubbling away within this uh film that kind of isn't there in other tarantinos for me that it doesn't have i think this is why i might like it so much is because it, it feels his most human that there's these human interactions going on within it that are kind of absent in other works it's almost like this one doesn't almost exist in tarantino world if you know mm. what I mean? because tarantino's it's quite his world is quite cartoonish the violence is always Cartoons, and it's still horrible, but it's this, it's ultra violence. And whereas Jackie Brown feels almost like you say, more human, more grounded. It seems it's definitely not in Tarantino land. <laughs> it seems like it's what a fun theme that would be. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> not one for the kids, <laughs> no. but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it just feels like you say, a more human restrained film where. You, and that might have something to do with him again not being in it as such. But yeah, it's definitely. It's <laughs> You're really taking against Tarantino's, a, Tarantino's yeah, face. Yeah, I hate him when he's. I, I do, when he's in things, especially when he's got an Australian accent for no apparent reason. He's pretty bad in Django Unchained, but, yeah. <laughs> so bad. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's his most 
tend, tend I'm probably not the right word, but it's his easiest, most human film. There's one other person, Michael Keaton. There's like the period of time where he just kind of pops up and obviously he reprised his role or did he do it before? I can't remember. Obviously, um, yeah, Ray was in Out of Sight. Yeah, which is also a film we've recorded here, guys. Um, yeah, it was really cool. I, I mean, I, I love, I love, I love Keaton. I think he's amazing. And Dope Sick was, you know, a recent TV series he was in. He, you know, he stole the show. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Every time it comes on, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. He also has a great costume for a member. I remember the costume's been quite great in this. Like Keaton's wearing a thing cool jacket at one point. Uh, but yeah, Keaton is very cool here, and. And they all have this kind of low-key coolness to them. They all have that kind of um, Tarantino coolness that's just, it almost oozes from the screen. It's great. Um, but yeah, I love Keaton in this. But again, outwitted by Jackie Brown every step. Everyone is. Everyone is outwitted by Jackie Brown by the end. It's it's mm. wonderful to watch. I think, we just, I think we should mention the soundtrack is an absolute banger as well. Yeah. Such a good soundtrack. I haven't listened to the soundtrack. I don't know why. Um and that's something that needs to be rectified straight away on Spotify. Yeah. Because um, there's, and each time, I'm sure it happens each time, I'm like, oh, Delphonics, this is this is a tune. And, and that got- moment with the tracking shot of her to that, to her across yeah. 110th Street is is one of my favourite Tarantino shots. Just it's Iconic, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then you, and then you don't then you don't see Jackie Brown, I don't, well, you don't actually hear her speak for like half an hour. Um, she's not in the film for, for a, quite a while before she actually makes the first, um, yeah before she first speaks which is quite interesting as well for, for the main character for the title character of the whole film okay let's head to the scores hello I'm Hannah Flint from the First Film Club a film podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent both in front of and behind the camera and the feature debuts that launch their careers from the new drama Mass to the cult classic Heathers each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and the behind-the-scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Find us, The First Film Club, wherever you listen to your stripped media podcasts. Come join the club. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Russ, with your recommendability. Uh, I would give this um, a 4.5 because, uh, anyway, people who recommend this to now, I think, are mature enough to watch this. I think as teenagers, we're not quite mature enough for this film, but now I think we are. And I think that it's, I just feel like, this film is great. It's really entertaining and it's Tarantino at his most interesting. So go off and watch it. So it might be 4.5 for that. Well, yeah, I'd go along with a 4, 4.4 because I think it's a Tarantino film. Even if you're not a fan of Tarantino's thing, you could recommend it and say, <laughs> well, try this one because it's not <laughs> as Tarantino as others. So yeah, I, I go along with a 4. Helen? Uh I'm going to go a bit higher. I'm going to go 4.7. I think this is a Tarantino that you can recommend to people who say they maybe aren't a fan of Tarantino because it 
it's not really like gimmicky. It's not as violent. It's still like quite sweary. Um, but I, th- I think it's just like, it's got more like story and vibes going on. I just really love the the kind of bits where they're just like listening to cassettes and he, he goes out and he buys like the little <laughs> cassette because he's like heard it in her apartment. I just think those moments like that really make it. And like I love the soundtrack and I just think it's really interesting De Niro performance as well. So yeah, 4.7. I was really nostalgic for like record shopping when he, when he, bought, when he went and bought that soundtrack. Like I haven't done that for like years. Genuinely, I haven't gone to record shop, and I used to spend all my money as, as a student on CDs, and I pined for that. Anyway, my score: I'm going for four point two. I think uh, not my favorite Tarantino, perhaps. Though, as you guys have said, one one that's easier to recommend to people. It's a it's a fifteen. I think it's a bit too a bit longer than it needs to be, um, and that probably plays into the repeat viewing score more than anything. So four point two, uh, Russ, repeat viewing score. Um, I'm going to go for a 3.9 because whilst I now want to go off and watch it for the soundtrack, I haven't touched this film in maybe 10 years and I've gone to other Tarantino's before this and I have a less fondness for Kill Bill. I've watched Kill Bill more than this. So I don't watch this film that often and I'm not sure when I'm going to watch it again, but I'll be glad when I do go to it again. It's that kind of film. So I'll watch it again, but uh, I'll probably go off and listen to the soundtrack on Spotify instead. Yeah, I go with three because although I love it, <laughs> there's other Tarantino films. If I was flicking through the telly and Pulp Fiction was on even halfway through, it's one I find myself I'd end up watching. Mm. Whereas I think Jackie Brown, maybe in another five years, I think, oh, I could watch it again, but I wouldn't necessarily seek it out again if it's not my most watched Tarantino. So yeah, three. Helen? Uh, yeah, a 3.5. I really enjoyed this rewatch, but its length, two hours 34, makes it a hard one to just kind of think, yeah, I'm going to rewatch that one regularly. So what was that, sorry? What was your score? 3.5. Yeah, its length was a bit of a challenge this time, and just because time-wise. And I think this is the first time I've done the thing where you can, you know, you can watch a film faster on Netflix. I was like... <laughs> Should I try it? Went to 1.5 for like two minutes. I was like, no, I can't do this. It's dumb. But I thought it. I thought it. And I acted on it. So it shows there was something there that didn't need to, you know, I just felt the weight of the, the time on me. Um, I will watch it again. I think it's important watching. Not so frequently, not so often, but I, will, I think I'll say each time I do. So four. Small screen score, Russ. I'm going to be quite high because... I've only ever seen this on the small screen. I've never seen the cinema. So I'm going to 4.8. Mm-hmm. Uh, it A lot of the time it feels like you're watching a couple of episodes of a TV show. Like it has that kind of pace and feel of some TV. It'd be really good TV if it was like this. Um, so I think it's like perfect for the small screen. It's has some cinematic moments like that tracking shot early on, but unlike other Tarantino's... The close-up of, um, close of, of um, Bridget Fonda's feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah always the feet um yeah so i think this is perfect for the small screen so it's 4.8 for me for this will yeah uh 4.5 because I, I i think it's it, like as russell said this they are the showy cinematic moments like um the chris tucker moment that shot is great and as you say that track and job but it, as you said it, it it looks like 
it could be a TV series now with cinematic TV. But yeah, I I I go four point five. Although I did see it on the big screen, I don't think it makes much difference. So I always found that, that uh, Chris Tucker like death scene so cheeky because the way he kind of cons him into getting in the car in the first place, and then he just drives like not even around the corner. I don't know what he'd call that. How how far he drives to then kill him. <laughs> <laughs> such a dark funny like sequence but then it, it does look really cool the way the the crane shot just like lifts up above, above the fence and that's why it caps him uh helen so this actually had a uh came back to the cinemas probably about like a month ago or maybe a bit less a couple of weeks ago oh really and um i just couldn't get to There's the cinema coming back to the cinema recently, aren't they? well pam greer came to the ritzy cinema and did a q a um mm. and yeah the date i just couldn't make the date unfortunately so i think if i had gone to the cinema that would have been like the time to go and see it so i'm probably not gonna go and see it and i've only ever seen it on the small screen so mm. i'm gonna say five i think the soundtrack makes it not quite a five um but otherwise i think it's great i don't think it's got the i don't think it's got the, mo- the moments where it's a cinematically and b in terms of like crowd experience uh collective experience that you'd want to experience with other people um i'd love to watch port fiction with other people i think that'd be absolutely amazing uh to to do so the prince charles something like that but for this i don't think so uh so yeah 4.8 as well engagement score Russ, uh, I'm going to go over three because I did watch some two halves, so that I did find it quite easy to pause this and come back to it a couple of days afterwards. And um, I, as much as I'd love that it's got that kind of pace to it, that it is slow. I think you could easily do this in a couple of chunks, and I don't think I need to watch it all in one sitting. So it is just a free for this. There's that fit of the Irishman. There was like shortly after the Irishman came out. Um, a few people posted how you can watch it in smaller chunks, didn't they? Yeah. And, and like make it like a mini series rather than just make it a film. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case with this, but it's it's you know it's good to know the films where you can just stop, yeah. come back to it later on. Uh, Will, yeah, I'd go with a three because it is so it's it's quite languidly paced. It takes its time, so I don't. Yeah, I, I'd go with a three. Helen, yeah, I mean, I'd probably say like this film is probably like 70% story and 30% vibes. And like the bit that are just vibes, you can just like, like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But then you do have to pay attention at the end and you do have to listen out to like, who's going to carry what bag and who's telling mm. what. And when the the film does the, the different viewpoints, you have to be paying attention because otherwise you'll be like completely lost. So I'm, I'm going to give it a four. I was pretty much engaged but i did do a little bit of imdbing on the trivia just because i kind of had seen it a little bit before Uh, i'm going for a four as well and i think the you do have to pay attention in in sections i think there are there are moments where you can come almost like close your eyes and just let the the dialogue wash over you um but when you know she's setting up the heist and um and also this you know the, the scene in the mall i think from then on you need to be like on it because it really does kick up a few notches. Um, and that gives us an overall score of 4.03750. Okay, so as we said before, we've had a few Tarantino films in the pod uh, for FlixWatcher. Uh, Helen, you've got the list there. Can you do us a rundown of um, of the other films we've had and their scores and let us know where, where Jackie Brown sits? This is very, ex- very exciting. 
So uh, at the bottom of the table with 2.88, we've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not surprising. <laughs> it's too long, is it? Oh, I just didn't like that film. Which you can listen, obviously listen back to all these episodes uh, if, if you want to. Um, that though. is good plugging. Excellent. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, and then we have Reservoir Dogs with 3.79. And then we're all quite close. So with 3.8... Is Inglorious Bastards. 3.9 is Pulp Fiction. 3.96 is Kill Bill. So that means Jackie Brown is currently the leader. Whoop, whoop. Mm. Interesting. And I was quite disappointed with um, Pulp Fiction score when when we recorded it. And it's also, small what happens screen, is. Wasn't it? Yeah. And I think, um, and also just the people in the room at the time. <laughs> it's dependent on the people in the room. Um, so, guys, we did. <laughs> us two what for Pulp Fiction I think we enjoyed it I can't Wait, remember it's a long time ago <laughs> we should listen to our own podcast uh, Helen uh, five years later on so everyone who's listening do follow us on Twitter we are at FlixWatcherPod and of course as well as talking about the films and stuff on Netflix in general we do put a shout out before we go to record ask for your opinion uh, look over a tweet that says something similar to this we're reviewing Jackie Brown with at Russ Loves Movies and at Will Chich. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and you score out of five stars with an on-air shout-out on Flixwatcher. And we had a few responses. Russ, as this is your film, do you want to take us out with the first response? Cool. There's one from when one thing leads to another. He said, rewatch this a couple of weeks ago. Was interested to see if it still holds up. I remember enjoying it first time round, and I think it does. Great performances all round. Maybe could have truncated the ending a touch, four out of five. I think truncated the, the start in the middle. <laughs> anyway. the end, I think the ending was fine. I thought the ending was good. Will, you want to read out a, a, a tweet? I did have them, but then I realised I haven't got them anymore because I had to change to Chrome when I messed up. <laughs> so they've gone down. <laughs> um, I'll just see if I get them now. Um, Helen? Um, so I will take one from uh, a recent guest of the show, Kevin Lahane. First, he went with a gem. Once prompted, he came back with five stars <laughs> in a gift form. So I had to watch the stars come up. You see, guys, if you want to send us a message, send us, you know, can you just it can just be a two word response, a gem like that. Well, a gem five stars. Don't forget the stars because we get very annoyed the without the stars. Russ, you want to take the last one? Uh, I have one from uh, Shitegeist uh, Pod, which says Pete Tarantino doesn't get nearly the love it deserves, and he's given it five stars. But the stars are bundles of cash, so I think it's it's an emoji that links into Tarantino. Yeah, likes it a lot. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Can you just sign off very quickly by telling us where we can find you online in the Twitter, Instagram, Podworld, and we'll say. Goodbye to everyone who's listening. You can find me at Will Chich on um, Twitter. Uh, that's mainly, I do do Instagram at Bill Chich, but I'm not very good at it. So Twitter mainly. Yeah, and Twitter is where you'll find me at Russ Loves Movies. That's where I post any kind of writing or podcast appearance I do. My podcast can be found in the same feed that you're finding this. Just go off and search for Not Just For Kids and subscribe and search for a film that you like and you'll probably find a gem of an episode. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for coming on. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flixwatcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. 
Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell him Flix what she sent you. You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>